about beans? Like, why are they called that? Where did the word bean come from? And also, like, the fact that slowly, not, I mean, not slowly, it took a long time, but, I mean, like, six years ago, everybody was like, oh, look at my little bean. Like, it was, like, a, a, a term of endearment. I don't like to bake beans and think, think they're cute. Like, that's weird. But why are they called, like, where did beans come from? I don't know. Just, do you think about beans? I think about beans. Not the even Stevens beans, but I, well, no, I think about him, too. The e- I'm I'm I have been so bombarded with so much right now. Um, beans, I think, are foundational to the universe. You ever think that a black hole is just a big bean that just like tries to suck in all the rest of the space beans? Oh, and oh, we're just, we're just on one big bean right now. I thought you hated that line of thought. Because, if I remember correctly, when we were on vacation last summer, and I was on a big tear about everything that holds stuff is a bowl, because ball holds stuff, or bowl holds stuff. So I would be like, sink? Bowl. Person? Bowl. And you were like, no, this is asinine, I'm leaving. So is this the... the, the, What's a bean, Okay, well, like, everything's a bowl is stupid. Everything's a bean is galaxy brain. Okay, alright, I'll get you that meme of, like... galaxy bean, if you will. (laughs) you what if we what then what makes a bean just by virtue of existing it's a bean yes, everything's a bean everything is just a bean in a different size and shape and function okay so that means wait hang on no because beans are like you eat beans like green beans baked beans okay do you eat cat toe beans no no i don't i don't think anybody does if you do maybe i maybe stop Okay. Okay. Do, do, right, but... do, do the folks that call, like, fetuses little beans, do they eat those? Do they call them little beans, or are they size of, like, beans? I've heard folks say, oh, look at my bean. That's really gross. I hate that. Oh, I just thought of another bodily bean. I don't know if I, I don't want to say it out loud, but I'm sure you can fill in the blanks. Yeah, kidneys. Yeah, that's it. Kidney bean. Yep, yep, you did it. You nailed it, babe. <laughs> Good job. Good job. So, definitionally speaking... Bean is not always the thing that you eat. Okay, fine. Bean is not always a static thing. What we have learned is that, definitionally speaking, beans are nothing or everything. No, no, no. Okay, so if we think about things that are traditionally seen as as bean, right? Yes. So, like, kitty, like, toe beans. Okay. Green beans. Coffee beans. Kidney beans. Coffee. Small. Mm -hmm. Beans are small. And whenever people use bean as, like, a term of endearment, like, you mentioned, like, babies, like, my little bean, mm-hmm. or when people are, like, on Twitter talking about their favorite YouTuber, and the, or it wouldn't, it wouldn't be Twitter, because no one does it anymore, but on Tumblr, people would talk about, like, you know, the, the YouTubers that were hugely popular in, like, the early 2010s, and be like, oh, Dan and Phil, my cute little beans. Little always came, like, always, like, preceded beans, mm-hmm. so... Okay, but, counterpoint, what about the Chicago bean? What? Oh, well, okay, but that that's... bean is giant. Okay, but that's it's that a, it's bean a is giant... the size of a lot of beans. But it's a giant. <laughs> how, many, how many cans of beans could you put in the Chicago bean? Wait, that has to be a question that someone's answered. Bush's right? baked beans could not produce enough beans to fill the Chicago so, bean. They for sure could. Do you think that maybe not right now, but if you went to like a Costco and just put your arm out in one of the shelves and just put all of the beans? That were in the building into your it's several carts really it wouldn't just be one and then you fill you could easily fill that thing it's not that big okay is it okay 
It is enormous. This has to, hang on. I'm I'm betting you someone has asked this question and there's an answer. How many beans can fit in the Chicago yes. bean? Like that would be a that that would be a deep swimming vat of, of baked beans. Don't have to be baked. Well, I'm just thinking I'm just thinking of Bush's baked beans because like it's a it's a good color contrast for that because it's like a mirror, and it also would look like you were descending into bean lava. Okay, so there's an entire Reddit thread that comes up first, and the question is, how many kidney <clears throat> beans can fit in the Chicago bean? All right, here we go. Chicago Beans volume isn't officially stated anywhere, so it's not exactly easy to say. If I was to make a very rough estimate, I'm guessing how much the beans take up, I, I'm guessing the beans take up a rectangle with the same dimensions, it would be around 2.6 billion kidney beans from yeah. the underscore professor 053 on July 1st, 2018. Yeah. You would have to take a lot of beans from a lot of Costco's to be able to fill Okay, but up. you can do it, though, is my point. Well, yes. Yeah, if, you if said, given unlimited resources. Right, and we have unlimited beans. There's so many beans. It's a mass amount of beans. We have and by unlimited your, beans? Okay, well, by your argument, everything is a bean. <laughs> so you could put anything in the Chicago bean oh, and then no. say it's full of beans. I've been checkmated. <laughs> Welcome to Is It Teachable, the podcast where two English instructors talk about beans. Uh, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> we had an evil spirit. I got rid of it. It's all good. <laughs> Um, An evil spirit that likes to climb on top of desks and knock off books and break things. Put stuffed animals in trash cans. Yeah, yeah, big he, fan. He he has never once knocked slush off and not put him in the trash can. Didn't you ask him to get down one day and he make eye contact with you, put slush in the trash can, and then hop down? Yep, he did. <laughs> like, he, he got down, but not before he caused havoc. Right. Um, That's his favorite hobby. Anyway, you're Morgan. I'm, I'm Zach. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm Zach. You're Morgan. Good to meet you. <laughs> uh, so today we are looking to talk about the elusive personal, personal narrative. narrative. The elusive personal narrative. <laughs> well, okay. So what we, is elusive about? So this? we we got personal narrative last week, and both of us were like, Ugh. <laughs> like how how do you teach that? And it's not like we don't know what the assignment is. I think both of us teach a form of personal narrative in class. I have taught numerous different kinds. Yeah, I, over, I teach. Over the span of a couple years. I teach two <clears throat> in my first unit. Because I, I count like a literacy landscape as one, and then I have the soundscape assignment that I do, which is the large like cumulative assignment yeah. for unit one. I don't really have one anymore, or I haven't for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And a part of me is kind of... Like, I, I would sort of like to go back to it, but I'm just trying to kind of consider, you know, the form and function of, like, what I want my assignments to do for, like, you know, a first semester community college course right. to, to, like, you know, teach this demographic of students. So, I, I personally think literacy, or rather just personal narratives, or narratives in general, are a good teaching tool for first year or first oh, yeah. semester writing students. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, like, we, we, we got personal narrative on here. And, I mean, like, it is such a broad, oh, it, broad yeah. thing. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, like, when I um, when I taught at Marshall, for instance, like, you know, I, the, the bread and butter of the English department there was, like, literacy narrative, y'all. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this in, in English 101. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I, I, I guess... To just establish, what do we think of a personal narrative? Like, how do you just, how, how do you define it? 
So I what I think makes personal narrative so cool, especially for a first unit, especially and and two in like a first a first year writing course, is that it's not dependent upon research. Mm-hmm. And I like I since we're in our unit four and my students are doing radical revisions, I ask them to write a cover letter explaining, you know, here's here's what I'm revising, here's why I'm revising it, here's exactly how I did it. Let me walk you through two or three of the major changes. Yep. Um, and almost, I mean, 90% of my students always go back to the first unit because they're like, I had the most fun with this one. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Annotated bibliographies suck ass. You know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I had a lot of students who were like, this was my most challenging one and I'm glad I did it, but fuck it. I never want to do it again. And I was like, mood. They're, they're not fun. Um, so I think starting the semester with something that is readily engaging to them, but also makes them feel like they're interesting, mm-hmm. is also not, not the, the assignment, like that their assignments are interesting, but that they themselves are interesting. Yes. Because almost always I have students that are like, but I'm not, I don't do anything. There's nothing interesting about me. And right. then they start writing and we start workshopping and I start asking them questions and they're like, oh, I can turn this into something really cool. Actually, there is a thing that happened to me that was super important that I want to write about. And I think that that, you know, in terms of, like, constructing the actual assignment sheet for a personal narrative, for me, it's like, I think for the cumulative, for the soundscape, it's like four or five page, mm, it's a thousand words. Okay. I think, it's like, I think, that, I think that's four double space pages. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. Um, give or take two and Yeah, page. give or take. Um, so I'm, I have a word limit. I go over... Um, the voice of experience, which is a CNF thing, creative nonfiction, where you talk about, you know, something that happened to you in the past and you can actively reflect on that thing as somebody who has now experienced it and kind of talk about how your opinions or like perceptions of those events have changed. Um, so we go over that and we go over sensory details and stuff like that. So kind of the basics, the the groundwork and like the ladder of specificity to get into creating something like that. So my rubric is like, did you meet the word requirements? Did you, for the soundscape, they incorporate their favorite song lyrics and stuff. Um, and like, did, were you descriptive in your writing? Were you detailed? So, cause if they lay that foundation, it's a lot easier for them to be detailed in their like academic writing. So they can say, oh yeah, I need to pull X from this source that can help bolster this or whatever. And then other than that, it's like, I don't know, write about whatever the hell you want to write about. Like you're, you're free to do what you want. <laughs> so I play it pretty fast and loose with my personal narratives. How about you? Yeah. I mean like largely speaking, I, I think for a lot of students, I try to at least have a base you know, uh, a quote-unquote requirement, or at least, like, a suggestion, because throwing students into an assignment and just saying, like, write about whatever, uh, in in my experience, often leaves them being like, what the fuck do you mean? I'll murder you. What do I do for this assignment? Um, and so from just a base standpoint, I would, I would kind of say that, you know, a personal narrative, shockingly enough, is a narrative about something that happened to you as a person right, <laughs> in your right. life. And kind of like you said, it can be very broad. I mean, like the literacy narrative specifically, when I first taught it um, as, God, a grad assistant? A that's, TA? That's the first yeah. time. I didn't even know that that assignment existed until I was a TA. Because yeah. I didn't, I, I took AP in high school, so I just bypassed all of yeah. that. I had no I idea had no what I was like. Um, and so... I think with that, I, I mean, like, even with a set assignment, you know, it, it still has some modularity to it. Because the first semester I taught it was like, it has to be, you know, a story or a memory or a series of memories in your life 
regarding your history with literacy of like reading and writing and then like the next semester i was like okay but like literacy is a very broad thing so i was like well talk about your literacy with something like uh Mm -hmm. are, are you literate in a sport or a specific community or something like that and so just tell me a story about how you became proficient in this one thing um and that's cool you know yeah yeah and and i kind of liked it and they they kind of dug it quite a bit um but now you know i i think the last time i taught anything like this was just a straight up personal narrative just like tell me a story about a time in your life that was memorable or important to you Mm -hmm. and that is very wide open um and so it gets a lot of different different things in there so from that baseline you know I'm, I'm kind of the same way as long as you are understanding a few key things you know if you're able to transition between scenes well mm-hmm. if you are able to have a logical series of events that a reader can follow and understand where you're going with and if you can have a core central idea that is carried throughout the piece that's that's largely what i'm looking for and you know length requirements because you got to do stuff. But, well, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then also, like, with creative writing, creative writing is really hard to grade, especially in a class where creative writing is not really what they're there to do. Right. It's a good entry point because it makes them comfortable. They have some fun with it usually. But exactly. that's not, you know, that most of them are not going to go on to do that. Right. Unless you're really lucky and you teach somewhere that has an English department and you can convince them to become <laughs> English majors. Uh, I think I maybe to the dark side. I think when I was a TA I succeeded at getting one person to become an English major and one person to minor in creative writing. Look at you. Uh, that is not a lot of people. <laughs> um, but with yeah. Did I lose my train of thought? Uh, no, I didn't. I got it. Choo-choo. Um will you cut that? Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> Sorry. Um, but also with, with creative writing assignments, since they are so so difficult to grade, I find that, like, you know, did you include sensory details? Did you do this? Did you meet the... Like, that gives me a rubric. Yeah. That way I can't grade based on, is it good? Because yeah. that's, like, the worst question ever. Right. And I, I hate, like... I don't hate it, because, like, when students are getting used to giving feedback to one another, they'll be like, it's good. And I'm like, stop using that word. (laughs) Be specific. What do you mean? What's working? What made you feel something? It is stuff like that that has made me make guided question peer responses, and that has helped immensely. But, yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that, especially when you're trying to look at this from, like, a, you know, holistic grading perspective. You know, you have to have some set criteria there. And Mm -hmm. so that's why things like, you know... Are you using specific, like, images and details for this stuff? Are you incorporating dialogue into this? Yeah. You know, are there any kind of, you know, indicators of, you know, the scene or the surroundings or, like, the time and place for this? Because mm-hmm. that all helps a reader imagine what it is that you're talking about. So, you know, while I don't think everything has to have those... By, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, I think that they are all good skills that anyone getting into writing should be acquainted with, even oh, yeah. if it's just marginally so. I completely agree. And definitely after, like, because this is something that I'm going to be adding for my classes next semester, mm-hmm. um, or my summer classes, depending. I'm an adjunct. I am in limbo. Um, <laughs> I'm slowly, I'm trying to grapple with the fact that, like, financially I prepared to not work for two months. Um, 
But I'm just, it's real weird, and I don't know what to do with myself until the boost class that I have in August. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I'm thinking about doing is the fact that when you do have students write personal narratives, because you mentioned scenes, mm-hmm. one of the things that I encounter is they'll, they'll, t- they'll be like, this happened, and then they'll mm-hmm. move on, and I'm like, no, 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 stay there. Pretend you're actually, like, I always tell them to pretend they're writing a book, because for mm-hmm. some reason, oh, I mean, I understand why. Like, some people, they just don't, they don't view their writing as, like, being on the level of, like, X, Y, and Z, whatever things that have been published. And yeah. I always tell my students, like, if I assign something, you can question it and say it's bad or whatever. I'm not saying it's perfect because I'm having you read it for class. But um, one of the things that if you are thinking about assigning personal narratives, you need to actually teach them how to construct a scene and how that works. Because, like, if you're, you have a student that's writing about, um... Like, if your student is is older and they're writing about, like, the birth of their second kid or, you know, something that is hugely important to them, but they don't write about, like, the actual event, they just write about, like, it meant a lot to me and this, that, and the other, then it's not doing the thing that it's supposed to do. Yeah, it it is descriptive and informative, but it is not a narrative. Right. Because it has to, again, by nature being a narrative, convey a story. Right, and I think one of the things that uh, I'm going to try this coming semester is to like before I even do that is to just like convince students that like it's okay to do that thing because so many of them are immediately like skittish about English going in and I Mm -hmm. completely and totally understand especially in the area that we we live in yeah um and I just I think making them comfortable and like showing them examples from I mean obviously you want to show them examples duh (laughs) you're a teacher um but specifically looking at how certain scenes are constructed yeah. and talking about how to incorporate those in your writing. Because I think, too, I mean, that could be considered scaffolding for kind of what I mentioned earlier of, like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. including sensory details and blah, blah, blah gets you used to including X, Y, Z from your sources. Maybe this will, you know, help elaborate on, like, specific examples that you find in your work, that you're in your research that you want to continue to use or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of but, sense. That's really fucking good, actually. But, I mean, that's that's an issue that I've encountered a lot in drafting, <clears throat> is, like, I'll circle something and be like, this is really interesting. Can you stay there for a sec? Yeah. Because it's, like, two sentences, and it should be, like, half a page at the very right. least. Like, could you please develop this? Uh-huh. You have something here. You have a seed of something that right, has yeah. not been, you know... Mm-hmm. yeah i don't i can't i don't i have two degrees and i know <laughs> words um so what what do you think you would teach personal narrative with so you had a week to think about it yeah so it for the sake of keeping this interesting mm-hmm. um and 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 you know fun fun good radio uh you know, what, one thing is when I'm teaching personal narratives, I usually get either like a student example and mm-hmm. then um, there is, uh, I used to teach with the Norton Field Guide all the time. I fucking love that textbook. And there was this example um, essay, or there's an excerpt from this book by author Rick Braggs all over but the Shouten. And it's like this very short, like, kind of narrative scene where he's talking about um going back home to this place in rural appalachia interestingly Mm -hmm. enough Mm -hmm. to uh, go meet with this kind of estranged father and he gives him like this uh box full like old shakespeare and shit like that because he's like i mean you're smart you probably like this stuff i don't know um so like i could do that um but everyone always does that shit um (laughs) i think that it would be fun to like since it's such a broad assignment 
I think it is good to show examples of perhaps how to construct certain things. Yeah. Um, like scene and dialogue and things like that. So one thing that I think would be very interesting would be to use uh, perhaps music for this. And uh-huh. uh, Jason Isbell has this really kick-ass album, uh, Southeastern, before he you know, started doing a lot of his more recent stuff with the 400 unit more consistently. And Southeastern has and Jason Isbell in particular is very much like a you know obviously a singer songwriter but has a lot of storytelling elements in a lot of his songs so I mean like Elephant is all about you know um this guy is you know telling this story about this you know uh girlfriend that he has and you know they kind of joke around they go drink at the bar and shit but the whole thing is that she is dying of a terminal illness and they're very much trying to just, you know, not talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like, very poignant, like, set pieces in it, like, describing their conversations at the bar. And, you know, kind of you get a lot of interesting detail about, you know, who they were as friends and potential lovers to each other in the span of four minutes through, again, very specific details, specific dialogue, and, you know, it is really touching and really heartbreaking in like four minutes uh he's also got one on that album called live oak Mm -hmm. which is um about this guy in like almost like frontier times who was like a train robber with a bunch of dudes fun and love it and uh he's you know this guy who is trying to be reformed and so he goes off to this new town to start a new life but, you know, rumors kind of circulate around the town. And are like, oh, he's, he's, he's one of those dudes. Um, but he falls in love with this woman. And the woman falls in love with him. But he finds out that she fell in love with him because of the rumors of his past life that he's trying to throw away. And so you, again, get a lot of these different things. Like there's, you know, description of, you know, the, like, like the train robbery, how he, you know, ran away, how he has tried to reform things. And so, again, very interesting, very complicated story told in a very small setting. And that's, uh, that's pretty much what you're trying to do with a literacy narrative. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to, or a personal narrative, period. It's not supposed to be a huge, long assignment. Right. So I think using a song, for instance might be a good way to say, okay, how are they conveying, you know, the scene here? How are they setting up and introducing characters without going into, like, a huge amount of, like, info-dumpy explanation and shit, you know? I don't need to know, like, what color X person's hair and eyes and how tall they were and, like, what their hobbies were and shit. Like, we don't really need to know all that unless it's, like, really germane to the story. Right, yeah. So... Looking at something like that is kind of an exercise in seeing how can you economize the space that you are working with and how can you really capitalize on cramming a bunch of stuff into just like one compact package there. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really great in terms of like student engagement as well. Um, I know neither of us are big fans of handing things out in class and having students read it. Uh, Don't do that. Just don't do that. They don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Don't do that. I think, I mean actively like listening to something like I use audio in class all the time and that is those are some of the days that students are the most engaged because they actually get to 
I mean, usually there's somebody who knows who the artist is. Yeah. But they actually get to engage with it in a way that they're not expecting from an English class, which is mm-hmm. a lot more fun. And if you kind of get away from what they're traditionally expecting, yeah. again, especially in an area like this, then they're a lot more apt to, to participate and actually engage with the assignment that you're trying to get them to do yeah and so that's kind of why i think looking at storytelling through a medium other than just like read this can be Mm -hmm. a lot potentially more engaging and so like even though you're not showing them like here's an example of a personal narrative assignment like Mm -hmm. it is still something to show like here is how you can take elements of storytelling and pull it in and apply it to this assignment Mm -hmm. and this type of writing in general so I know I've mentioned memoir mixtapes mm-hmm. on this podcast before, but you're a writer, die stand. Yes, I'm a yeah. It's one of my absolute favorite literary journals. Um, but that would be something that you could use in yeah. tandem with something like this. Because I mean, when I teach my soundscape assignment, I just give them the link to the first volume, and I'm like, I don't care which ones you read. I just need you to read two, mm-hmm. and at most, they're four pages in length. Like, pick you know, look through the table of contents, find a song that you know. And, and read the thing and look at how they use lyrics and look at how they, they tell that story and that, you know, those can function as examples. And then we have, like, student examples that we'll look at on the day that it's assigned and they'll be available on Blackboard if they want them. Uh-huh. But being able to, to look at examples like that that have been, you know, written by professionals yeah. um, is definitely better. But it would be really cool to do something like you suggested with, like, playing the song out loud. Mm-hmm. And you could also, too, play, you know, one of Jason Isbell's songs or, like, any anything and like play that in class and then have students like write down lyrics that stand out to them and then have them do a quick free write yeah like that's because because that's what i was thinking you would actually do with it because Mm -hmm. you know obviously if you were going to play it and show it in class and use it as an example to see how to build stuff you have to kind of see what are the elements that this is actually incorporating how is this standing out to you potentially as a reader that you could use for yourself as the writer Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and bringing in lyrics into a classroom is so much fun. Like yeah, I know. I, f- I know you are big on that. I have a little Ziploc bag that I bring in uh, once a semester towards towards the end of Unit 1. And students will just pick a set of lyrics they're familiar with. And these are like, I mean, Don't Stop Believing and yeah. like Smash Mouth's All Star. and Like, shit, I know <laughs> they know. Um, I think the most contemporary the lyrics get, um, I had a bit from... Um, a Lizzo song. It's not Juice. Truth Hurts. Yeah. That one. Um, and I always have the students, like, they'll, they'll pick which one they want, and there's always some giggling, and they go back to their seats, and I give them ten minutes mm-hmm. to write about your association with this song. First time you heard it, what you think about when you hear these lyrics, whatever, just make sure the lyrics are in there yeah. somewhere. And then I, I don't make them read their stuff out loud. I'm, I just, I, they think that's icky, and I don't want to, you know, make people do that, but I always have them read out loud the lyrics that they've chosen. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then kind of walk walk me through, um, you know, what they wrote about without having to read their work out loud. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny having a student look you dead in the eyes and say, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% <laughs> that bitch. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> God. So, what, like, what, what kind of stuff did you decide to do for, for a personal narrative? So, I'm currently watching uh masaki yuasa's the tatami galaxy Uh um i know it's based on um a novel yes by tomihiko morimo uh who also wrote 
Penguin Highway and the Eccentric Family and the Night is Long Walk on Girl, mm-hmm. um, which I have a copy of and I'm in the middle of and I would like to keep reading. Uh, I just keep conveniently forgetting <laughs> that I have it. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, mm, I could do that or I could sit on my ass and watch a bunch of anime because it's summertime. Uh, so, so I'm not talking about the novel. I'm talking about the, the, show. the show, which was adapted by Madhouse, uh, like directed by Masaki Yuasa. And it is, it's 11 episodes, whereas the novel is uh, sectioned off into like four different chapters of the nameless main character interacting with these different social circles that are associated with Kyoto University, or like, or a university in Kyoto, anyway. Yeah. Um, and the, the general premise of the anime is that, uh, I haven't, I've only watched six episodes oh, man. At, at your recommendation, because I binged Kids on the Slope and I needed something else to get me real high, <laughs> like that did, and... <laughs> I don't. Th- um, I don't think anything is going to get you quite kids on the slope level, but nothing. I am never going to feel that again until uh, the DVD comes in this coming week, and then I watch it again. Um, I'm devastated. <laughs> nothing is ever going to make me feel that good again, or that bad, really, because I had, that was a tear fest. Anyway, um, so you recommended that I watch that, yeah, because I know you're a big fan of it, yeah, and. Thus far, it has been, okay, you know, 20 minutes of unnamed student enters into the movie club or mm-hmm. the cycling club, which, well, that was a train wreck. I mean, they're all train wrecks. Like, that's the point. It was a bike wreck, but... <sighs> I'll leave. We can stop I, it the wasn't, Okay, but it wasn't a bike wreck. I'm kidding, he had his I'm bi- kidding. He has his bike stolen, I'm... and then the guy who stole his bike ends up winning the race. <laughs> Um, but the general idea is, you know, you, you, you get into college, you want to make a whole lot of friends, you realize, oh, this is actually kind of difficult, but the, the unnamed main character really wants to, he keeps calling it the, the rose-colored campus life. Yeah. And he wants to, to fall in love with a beautiful girl and have a bunch of friends and just, you know, get that quintessential college experience. And in each and every episode, he chooses a different circle, because it rewinds time at the very end of each episode. And you get to watch it all steadily fall apart. And he, there are a couple like key events that are the same in in each time, each each event, each episode, what mm-hmm. have you. Um, the first of which is him choosing a certain circle, him meeting Ozu, who is a shark-toothed, <laughs> definitely not human, can't convince me otherwise. Character, He's an absolute who, gremlin, who convinces him to do bad things. He's like, I'm devoted to making you awful. That was my goal. Um, and he has this little stuffed animal that is very clearly modeled after the little plushie that is created in Paranoia Agent by, by one of the primary characters. And it's dangling from his ceiling, and he remembers this girl that he thinks is kind of cute. Uh, she has, she bought them, they come in groups of five, she has four, she's lost one, and there's one hanging in his room, and he always remembers it after running into this fortune teller who is like, I can tell that you're very talented. And he's like, ah, yes, thank you, ma'am. I know that there is no way that someone who looks as creepy as you and exudes the aura that you have could possibly be incorrect. And she always tells him that, like, there is a ch- there, like, there's an opportunity and it's dangling in front of your eyes and, like, you're gonna, you're gonna pass it up or whatever. And then he goes back to his room and is like, ah, the thing, I have it. And something, you know, inevitably goes wrong and Ozu leads him into the woods and they... No one's died yet, but I'm and I'm kind of surprised. Um, I know in in the last one I watched, I watched the Proxy War. Oh God! Where they just do really petty shit to each other, and it's yep. like passed down along like hundreds of years or some shit like that. 
Um, and he, like, shakes off all the ghosts, and they fall down on the bridge, and he just goes back to his room and is, you know, sad. Uh, but one of the things that I think is interesting is that it essentially is telling the same story over and over and over and over again. It was a really long preamble. It was a huge setup for this very, very simple, really, plot of trying to achieve, you know, X goal and the different ways in which it can go totally, absolutely wrong. Yes. And I think that is fascinating. Oh, it's delightful. And I think it would be incredibly interesting to... And the tricky thing with anime, as I've learned this past semester, teaching terror and resonance, is you almost have to have it on DVD. Like, since we're doing online classes right now, I've been able to end Funimation. I'm so sorry. I pay for your monthly subscription, and I bought the damn DVD. Um, <laughs> but I have been screen grabbing all of the episodes <laughs> and uploading them to YouTube unlisted for my students. Because <laughs> I don't want to give them my login. Right. Like, I don't want, I just, and it's not that I don't trust my students, it's just that I don't trust my students. So, I don't want them to have access <laughs> to an account that's attached to my debit card. Um, so you'd have to, you'd have to absolutely own the DVD and be able to bring it in. But the cool thing about the Tommy Galaxy is that each individual episode is, it can be its own thing. You don't need any additional setup. Yeah. So you could watch, feasibly, two episodes. Yeah, for sure. Which is 40 minutes, and you could have... A day, like if you're working on a 50, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule, you could have a day where you watch those two episodes and give a kind of setup as to here's what it is, here's what our assignment is, and here's an example we're going to be looking at. And I think a Monday, Wednesday, Friday would be really great because you could do that on Wednesday and then have Thursday for them to kind of think that over. Mm -hmm. And then on Friday, introduce like, okay, what major event do you wish that you could go back and fix? How would you do that thing? How do you think it would turn out? You know, yeah. would it, you know, good, bad, whatever. And I think before we did that, we create an outline of what are the core beats of the memory that you have that are the most important. Yes. How would those be reflected in a different version of this story? Because often, like, I'll have students who are really not that comfortable with creative nonfiction, usually because they're like, I'm not interesting, or I don't do anything, or mm -hmm. I don't want to write about my life, which is a completely valid concern. So being able to say, okay, I get that. I want you to write about a fictionalized version of yourself. It gives them some distance between the assignment. And I think that might be a lot easier. Yeah, and I sure. mean, bleh, but it, like cliche to say, but it does give them access to something that's not something they would usually come into contact with. Mm -hmm. And I think a huge part of English classes is being able to provide text that you're not traditionally seeing in courses. Yes. Because, you know, we're not... We're not just, you know, here to tell you here's what a noun is, here's what a pronoun is, here's how all of this works, here's your basic grammar elements, things like that. You are there to think critically. You are there to be exposed to different things. College is there to expose you to new ideas. So I think that's a great place to be able to be like, here's a thing from a completely different country, but, you know, we're going to use it to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So I think that's how I'd go about using That's Tommy Galaxy. Hell yeah, I dig that. I was also thinking... Um about you could for sure use um the the acclaimed hit podcast the macro brothers will be in trolls too <laughs> yeah you want to talk about that a little bit <laughs> no i'm only gonna briefly touch on it but like because you know we, we were talking earlier in the discussion about using specific things to discuss like how to set a scene and you know dialogue and a bunch of other shit and the macro brothers will be in trolls too uh it would be great to just like give students the first episode where 
the boys are high out of their mind after a show because someone gave them edibles and they just go on a tear about how they're going to be in Trolls 2 the film. Um, but, like, the, 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 the great part about this stupid fucking was, podcast... I didn't know that was the setup. <laughs> it's something like that. Um, but the, the whole premise is, like, it is, it is billed as, like, a, a retrospective documentary about how they got into the film. <gasps> That's amazing! Yeah, because, you know, Justin just, like, starts, this is the story of how the Macklemore Brothers, be, you know, came to be in the film Trolls 2. Um, and then it's just, you know, them just fucking riffing and just doing stupid shit. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, like, evolves over each episode where, like, they talk to their managing agent about potentially getting in contact with someone to be in Trolls 2. And, you know, all the way getting up to them actually uh, it being, being in the in film, which is just the weirdest mindfuck ever. But, like, I, I, I think it would just be fun to just look at it and be like, you know, this is... This is all dialogue. Like, this is just all dialogue. And how this kind of tells this stupid fucking story. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not think this would be a good, like, actual example to use. But I'm I'm infatuated with the idea of just tossing this at people and just being like, What the fuck is this? What are you doing? See, I, I can see where that could be difficult. But also... I know it's possible. It's okay, so it's possible because you mentioned dialogue. Yeah. One of the things that, and this is weird, I never thought that I'd ever talk about this in English classes, especially not 101. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in a creative writing class, you might bring up stream of consciousness. Sure. No one's talking about James Joyce in 101, and you shouldn't. There's no reason to. (laughs) However, um, one of the things that I stress to my students in the personal narrative unit is like, when it comes to grammar elements and things like that, this is our first unit, I'm not grading stuff like that. Yeah. I just want to see your writing, I want you to be comfortable, and I want you to use the voice that you use to deliver everything. So when we get into very, you know, strict academic English with, you know, actual essays and mm-hmm. annotated bibs and things like that, sure, I'm going to expect grammar, blah, 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 but not, not here. And one of the things that is incredibly easy to teach to 101 students is the concept of stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. They'll look at an example and be like, oh, I do that. Yeah. And you can also, in tandem, talk about run-on sentences, too. And, I mean, all of this kind of goes back to personal narratives. Because, I mean, if you're writing about a moment where you were really anxious... Yeah. Then, if you have, like, six run-on sentences and your reader doesn't get a moment to, like, breathe... Yeah. Then that that's a good way to convey that. And it gives you a really good opportunity to talk about sentence structure. Yeah. A lot of, you know... Students are like, period goes there because thought over. And I'm like, yeah, cool, but there's other stuff happening here. Let's talk about why periods exist and why we make those pauses. And I almost always have students read, not their own, I never have students read their own, like, errors out loud. And I never take errors from, like, this is an unnamed student, I'm going to read this shit out loud. I hate that. I, I only ever see that in, like, movies and stuff where teachers are really <laughs> mean. Oh, I hate that. But I will write my own run-on sentences yeah uh i very frequently do and then i'll give them to students in groups and be like decipher this read it out loud and they're like this is awful and i had students use these run-on sentence worksheets this past semester and i had them pick the gnarliest one Mm -hmm. and they had to read it out loud and then as a group they talked about you know here are the revisions we made here's why we did it xyz um and all of the students would be like (gasps) and then they would start talking (laughs) i was like see yeah they make a difference, yeah. so it would be, 
I don't know. I think using a podcast like that that is entirely dialogue would give a good opportunity to talk about how that's constructed and why sentence length matters. Yeah, and it's something like, you know, it is not just showing dialogue, but it's showing, like, kind of, like, natural freeform dialogue that sounds mm-hmm. less constructed. Sounds like people. Right, yeah, and so, you know, it's that, but, again, it is also just, like, one specific segmented scene and moment in time. So, again, it is kind of showing, like, how do you construct all this within just, like, you know, you might have a couple different, like, scenes in a narrative that you're putting together. So right. consider, like, what you are including in there. Like, how much dialogue or discussion or, you know, whatever the fuck else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, possible. Uh, it was more just like, uh, I thought about that and I laughed. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. I do that. I see, I see shit on the internet and I'm like, oh, it's so good. How can I put that in a class? That's how I feel about most of the Polygon Unraveled videos, which I have used before. I have used the Every Sonic Video Game is Blasphemous video uh-huh. um, for, like, my introduction to my argumentative unit. Yeah. Because despite the fact that he loses it purposefully multiple times, and you obviously don't want to do that in an argumentative essay in an academic setting, he does have a thesis statement. He does back it up with questionable evidence but it's evidence nonetheless he you know points to his sources and everything and students were able to engage with it pretty well so it's fun to see weird shit and be like oh no i yeah. can teach with this i'm gonna do it yeah yeah, yeah. that can was I... huh no go ahead no no can i ask you a question yeah what is wave yesterday to me uh when <laughs> matt and kyle and i were recording the most recent uh backloggers um we were talking about wave listen to me and matt made some comment was like oh yeah i've seen a bunch of people like cry saying on twitter like this is a headliner and this is a show that's gonna make you cry and wave listen to me and and we're like what and he's like yeah the one with the crow and we're like are you talking about (laughs) sing yesterday to me and he's like are they two different shows and so he just he completely conflated the two shows <laughs> Wave because they <laughs> and I was just I was just like that's the episode of the next that's the episode, that's the title of the next one that's I'm so good that. so I'm yeah, sorry I didn't one. I didn't mean to spoil your your title for your next episode yes so for the, I, for I, the I, billions of viewers we I have was, I was looking at that note card since I'd come in the room like an hour ago and I was like what is that what does that mean. Uh. Okay. This, this is a richer vein than I thought it would be. Yeah, I, w- I mean, admittedly, I was nervous because I, you know, I have the things that I always go to when I teach narrative and that's it. So trying to find something else was a little scary. And it's also like, okay, cool, I'm into it, but are students going to actually engage with it? Yeah. Because that's something that you have to consider. I know we did a whole long 15 minute goof of like, aha, here's this podcast that is super funny. I want to bring it into the classroom. Um, but you have to consider, you know, are students going to actually be receptive to it? Because if they aren't, then, like, it's on you as an instructor to see if that's going to work for you. Because, like, usually about a semester, not a semester, about a week or two into a class, I can be like, okay, I know what's going to work here, and I know what's not, and I'm going to, you know, make the adjustments accordingly. Yeah, no, I think think this was a a beneficial discussion. I think we were, you're right, this was a, a richer vein than... Than we anticipated. Yeah. Because there was definitely some grumbling and some groaning last Oh, week. yeah. There was, like, there was definitely a trajectory from, like, ugh to, like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we should figure out what we're going to be doing next week. So let's look at our random generator and see what number we get. That's a five-paragraph essay. 
Oh, ew. Oh. oh, we thought it couldn't get any worse, and it did. Oh, fun fact about me. I don't teach five-paragraph essays. I do. I don't. I they're a good. I know they're a really good stepping stone for a lot of students that are, like, hot out of college. Not college, high school. Like, fresh out of high school. Um, because they're, that, that's usually the model they use in high school. Um, but yeah, no, you get in my class and I'm like, yeah, five paragraph essay doesn't exist. We don't, we don't do that. You write until you've done what you need to do to actually explain what it is that you're talking about. Work with non-traditional students that haven't been in school for a couple decades. It well, works beautifully. That, okay, that's, that's fair. And I, I get that. I just, we have different teaching styles. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. I, I guess, I don't know, we'll, we'll fucking fight to the death in about a week or so and it'll just be a bloodbath. I'm not gonna just sit there and be like, this is a bad assignment, it's dumb. You shouldn't do it. I'm not gonna do that. That remains to be seen. We'll fight. What? what? (laughs) I'm kidding. You were ready to... What did you bully me about last week? Oh, onions. I can't count. Onions. You said I smelled like onions. I know it was a goof, but it was mean. (laughs) Every week, all you do is bully me. It's 11. Someone's yeah, gotta do it. I bet. Alright, well, it's the Sunday before finals week, so I'm probably gonna get trashed. <laughs> There's literally nothing else for me to do. Yeah. Like, everything is graded. My final assignments are entirely based on revision, and I... Because my third unit is very... I won't say it's heavy, mm-hmm. but, like, there's a lot of work that students put in. So my final, I will happily admit, is super easy. There are basic formatting requirements for, you know, the cover letter, the profile... And, and their revision, and as long as they meet those, they, they get, you know, they, they pass the final and that's it. So now that we're at a dead week, like, all of the instruction is finished, everything has been graded, I literally don't have anything else to do other yeah. than open up the portals for those final submissions to come in. So, like... Yeah, most of my students' grading is done. Like, I'm kind of in a hurry-up-and-wait space right now. Right, so. yeah. So, like, what the hell else am I going to do on a sunny Sunday than, like... Go make a mimosa and lay and out on the deck. Lay out on the deck and listen to nineteen eighties rock and roll. Hell yeah, get hell the, yeah, dude! Get the Walkman out and listen <laughs> to the Hooters. Well, that sounds like perfection right now. All right, well, I guess we'll fight to the death next week. Cool. I'll see you in the arena, even. I wonder what that sounds like. That was me beating my fist into my hand. Um, Class dismissed. Go to if, if, you, if you beat your hand, Stop. are you technically... <laughs> yeah, I know you know what I'm going to say, but are you technically beating I'm your I'm cutting me? off right now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>